Welcome to Godwell, a daily reading of holy texts known in the unification community as Hundukwe. Today we are reading from True Mother, Hak Jahan Moon, an anthology. Book 2, Part 1, Section 9, God, Women, and World Peace. This was an invitational address delivered on September 7, 1993, at the United Nations headquarters in New York. Honorable President Ganev, Your Excellencies, Distinguished Guests, Ladies and Gentlemen, I want to express my heartfelt gratitude to you for coming here today. As leaders of the United Nations, you bear the responsibility of guiding this world into the next millennium. The promise of a peaceful and prosperous future depends directly upon the collective actions we take today. God's Ideal of Creation As we all know, our contemporary world is not a world of peace and happiness. It is a world of conflict and despair. We are confronted by the breakdown of our families and the moral decline of our societies. We debate issues over and over again and yet find no solutions. Why is this? It is because a true solution has to include God and deal with the root of the problem, and not only the symptoms. To find this root, we first need to understand God's purpose of creation and realize that today we face the most critical turning point in the history of God's providence. At this crucial time in history, God has asked my husband, the Reverend Sun Myung Moon, to bring a new revelation to the people of the world. I have been supporting him in his work, and I recently concluded a year-long tour that took me to 12 countries, where I spoke on the topic, True Parents and the Completed Testament Age. A few weeks ago, toward the end of a speaking schedule that took me to all 50 states of the United States, I addressed members of the United States Congress in Washington, D.C. on the same theme. I would like to take this opportunity to convey this important message to you, Assembled Delegates of the United Nations and Other Distinguished Guests. God's ideal in creating Adam and Eve was that they would perfect themselves through true love so that, as true parents, they could then create a good family of true love, true life, and true lineage. Such a good family would have formed on the basis of hearts and minds united among the family members before God. When God created Adam and Eve, his first son and daughter, God wanted them to be better than himself. Conventional thinking would say that this is absurd. However, please take a moment to think about it. When we as parents look into the faces of our children, we wish upon them an infinite amount of love and hope. We want them to grow and achieve things we ourselves only dreamed of. Similarly, God wants to give limitlessly to his children. God is not content in giving just 100%. God's desire is to give a thousand times more than what he has. The nature of God's love is to give completely and then forget what he has given. Unlike some who calculate how much they have given and decide that it is enough, for God enough is never enough. Moreover, God's purpose in creating the world was to have an object partner of love. His purpose in creating parents and children, husbands and wives, and all things in this world in complementary pairs was to substantiate true love throughout his creation. Likewise, parents are to live for their children and children for their parents. Husbands are to live for their wives and wives for their husbands. All beings in creation are to live for and give to others. If God's ideal of true love had been realized through Adam's family, that family would have become the beginning of the heavenly kingdom. It would have expanded throughout history to the clan, the nation, and the world. This would have been the world of true love, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Furthermore, there would have been a parallel expansion of the heavenly kingdom in the spiritual world. Human History's False Start and the Providence of Salvation If God's original ideal had been realized, there would have been no need for a Messiah or for God's providence to save humanity. Adam's family, though it was merely a single family, would have been the center of the clan, the nation, and the world. It would have been the blueprint for all future families and the model for the realization of God's ideal world. 
Because of the fall of our first ancestors, God's work of salvation had to begin. Salvation history had to be extended repeatedly throughout the complicated and suffering courses of the Old and New Testament ages, culminating in today's completed Testament age. God's ideal of the true family and the heavenly kingdom, which he wanted to realize through Adam's family, was destroyed because Adam and Eve fell away from God. Due to the fall, this present world is far from the good world of God's ideal. In fact, today's world is a false world, in that it is flooded with self-centered love. This came about because Adam and Eve became false parents based on the false and self-centered love of Satan. They multiplied evil rather than goodness, creating a false family and passing on false life and a false lineage to their descendants. Thus, false clans, false nations, and a false world came into being. Therefore, the goal in God's dispensation of salvation is for a man and a woman, representing Adam and Eve, to be restored as true parents centered on God's true love, so that they can form a true family. From them eventually would flow the true clan, the true nation, and the true world that God originally planned. In other words, the seed from which God's true love, true life, and true lineage can grow has to be created. My dear friends, have you ever wondered how a world filled with such evil and corruption could come from a God of love and goodness? If you've read the Bible carefully, you will see that the fall involved the loss of Adam's entire family. First, the position of parents was lost through the fall of Adam and Eve. Second, the position of children was lost as Cain murdered Abel. God's blueprint for an ideal family and world perfection was lost. Therefore, to restore the original family, God works in reverse to reclaim the positions of Cain and Abel, and then the positions of true mother and true father. This pattern requiring the reconciliation of Cain and Abel as the foundation for restoring the true parents has been God's consistent formula throughout the history of restoration. The separation of fallen humankind into a Cain-Abel division occurred over and over again in Judeo-Christian history. God first of all separated fallen humankind into two opposing fraternal sides of Cain, representing Satan, and Abel, representing God, to resolve the emotions that resulted from the fall. God used the method of having the Abel side be attacked first and sacrificed. As a result, the Abel side was able to stand on that very foundation to embrace the Cain side and receive the blessing that Cain and the elder son position had received. For example, the religion that advances the purpose of salvation always receives Satan's severe persecution. It walks the path of receiving constant opposition, yet it continues its sacrificial efforts to save the sinful world. Likewise, good people always stand in the position of being struck first and sacrificed. Looking almost anywhere in our fallen world, we observe struggle between good and evil, similar to the struggle between Cain and Abel. These struggles stay in the conflict between mind and body in each of us. The mind which represents the Abel side struggles to overcome the body which represents the Cain side. The struggle within individuals has expanded to the family, nation, and world. As a result, humankind has always been divided into two opposing camps, one good, or Abel-like, and the other evil, or Cain-like, locked in struggle at every level. It has always been God's intention, however, that both sides be restored, not that one triumph over and destroy the other. An example of this division is the thief on the right side of Jesus' cross, who represented Abel, and the thief on the left, who represented Cain. So the key to God's work of salvation has always been to unite such divided sides, based on his ideal, in order to build a foundation on which to reclaim the true mother and true father. Self-Centered Love and the Breakdown of the Family Ladies and gentlemen, if a family is not centered on God's ideal of love, there will be conflict among the members of that family. Without God's love as an absolute center, the family ultimately will break down. Moreover, a nation of such families also will decline. Because illicit self-centered love invaded the family of our first ancestors, selfishness and greed have also continued to dominate human history, from the individual to the family, society, nation, and world. 
For this reason, God's work of restoration begins at the individual level. Since Satan knows this, he also focuses his efforts on the individual level. It is not by chance that selfish individualism has become the dominant way of life in these last days. People feel increasingly alienated from those around them and bear little sense of responsibility for the well-being of their country, their community, or even their own family. Rising divorce statistics indicate that husbands and wives feel little responsibility towards their marriage. Parents do not take proper responsibility for their children, and individuals devoid of any sense of human dignity reject accountability for their own lives. The United States and many other countries of the world have seen such phenomena, beginning with the youth movement of the 1960s. Idealistic youth rejected the materialism around them in order to seek love and peace, although in the process they also abandoned morality and responsibility. Unable to attain the true love they sought, many disillusioned young people resorted to drug use and free sex, leading to self-destruction, including suicide. Of all these, what pains God most is free sex. A world of free sex is absolutely contrary to the will of God and the ideal of the family. Love comes from the stimulation of unblemished emotion. However, free sex is totally devoid of purity or true emotion. How many of us have been touched by the cruelty of infidelity and divorce? Where is God in all the one-night stands? What about the nightmare of children who are sexually abused by a parent? Is free sex worth the price of a broken child? Indeed, in the domains of homosexuality, free sex, drugs and alcoholism, the world of true love is far away. It is a world in which Satan openly tells people, drink, take drugs, have sex. Those who do God's will, on the other hand, live a lifestyle that is 180 degrees different from this. Throughout history, those who have chosen to walk a spiritual path of self-sacrifice have been bitterly opposed and persecuted by the rest of the world. For example, it is only God's love and blessing that have allowed the Unification Church to prosper, despite worldwide opposition. The fact that our church has risen from obscurity in war-torn Korea to become a worldwide religious movement in only 38 years testifies to God's continued guidance and support. There are those who continue to oppose the Unification Church, whispering rumors to prevent our teachings from being heard. Again, Satan's way is always to attack that which is most precious to God. Yet those who go against the will of God can never prosper. The principle holds true that those on God's side who can endure unjust persecution will win the right to take back the blessing. God's strategy is always to be struck first and then take back what is rightfully His. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible teaches that Eve was the first to disobey God and enter into a relationship with Satan. Due to the fall, Eve and Adam, and also their sons Cain and Abel, inherited Satan's lineage, based upon selfishness and false love. As the descendants of the first couple, which was compromised by Satan, we all have inherited Satan's lineage. For this reason, Jesus said in John 8:44, You are of your father, the devil. The Old Testament describes a process of restitution according to the formula, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In the divine principle, we refer to making restitution for a wrong as paying indemnity. To make restitution for her wrong actions, fallen Eve needed to take complete responsibility. She needed to reverse the actions of the fall and to make spiritual and physical restitution for each step of the fall. It was God's will that Eve assist her younger son Abel to unite with the will of God. We know from Genesis that God accepted Abel's offering. However, this was not all that was expected of Abel. Abel's love was supposed to bring Cain to recognize Abel as God's chosen person and unite with him, and Eve was supposed to help them achieve that unity. If Cain and Abel had united, the second problem of the fall would have been solved. The unity between Cain and Abel, centering on Eve, would have been the foundation to restore all of Adam's family. Throughout providential history, we see God calling special women to play this exact role, to help unite the positions of Cain and Abel as restitution for fallen Eve's role. Rebecca as a model of restoration 
In the Bible, one of these special women is Rebekah, Isaac's wife. As the mother of Jacob and Esau, Rebekah held the same position in Isaac's family that Eve held in Adam's family. Unlike Eve, however, Rebekah understood God's providence and helped her second son Jacob, representing Abel's position, to gain the blessing intended for the first son, Esau. Just as Cain killed Abel, Esau wanted to kill Jacob when the blessing went to his younger brother. However, with Rebekah's help, as recorded in Genesis, these brothers eventually reconciled in a warm embrace, rather than resorting to violence. This reconciliation was a major victory for God. This victory, nevertheless, was not complete, since the reconciliation was only a symbolic purification of the lineage. The substantial purification of the lineage had to be accomplished in the womb. This is the reason for the paradoxical story of Tamar. By understanding that Tamar, like Rebekah, was in the position of fallen Eve, it becomes possible to understand why Jesus was born of her lineage, the tribe of Judah. I am sure that many of you have read the story about the birth of her twins. She conceived with Judah, her father-in-law, the twins Perez and Zerah. The Bible tells us that the two sons struggled even in the womb for the position of firstborn. During Tamar's labor, Zerah's hand was the first to emerge and the midwife tied a red string around his wrist. Then Zerah's hand disappeared back into the womb and Perez, the younger, was born as the elder. Thus the positions of Cain and Abel were restored before birth took place. It was on this foundation that the nation of Israel was chosen to receive the Messiah. In terms of conventional morality, the actions of Rebekah and Tamar are questionable at best. Why God blessed them has been a theological mystery until today. As we now see, through these women God was able to reclaim his lineage from Satan so that Jesus could be born. Their lineage was the point from which the Israelite nation started expanding. The word Israel means victory. The victory was the reversal of Cain and Abel in the womb, the purification of the lineage. Mary's life and her dangerous course. The lineage of Judah developed for generations, expanding to the levels of the tribe, society, and nation. From this lineage, Mary was born in Israel 2,000 years later. Mary had the responsibility of uniting the Cain and Abel figures on the family, clan, and national levels through paying appropriate indemnity and restoring the right of the elder son. Mary responded to God's call and conceived Jesus, even though, in the eyes of others, she had betrayed her parents and Joseph, to whom she was engaged. At that time, it was customary to stone to death the women who became pregnant out of wedlock. However, Joseph, standing in the position of Adam, courageously protected his fiancée and would not abandon her. Because of Mary's faith and the victories of Rebekah and Tamar, Satan could not claim sovereignty over Jesus in Mary's womb. Jesus was born in the position of a true son under God's complete direct lineage. He is the first true son of God, based upon the purification of the fallen lineage. That is why Jesus, the only begotten son of God, is the saint of all saints and the ancestor of God's true lineage. His birth represented the conclusion of the Old Testament age at the national level and the dawn of the New Testament age at the worldwide level. Mary, in the position to restore fallen Eve, had to build unity between Jesus, who was in the position of Abel, and his elder cousin, John the Baptist, who was in the position of Cain. This unity was essential if the people of Israel were to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. John was the elder. He had a great following and was widely respected. He described his own role by saying, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Also, Jesus explained to his disciples that the ministry of John was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. However, did John fulfill his responsibility in God's providence? The Gospel of Luke tells us that John came with the spirit and power of Elijah. John, however, denied that he was Elijah and doubted that Jesus was the Messiah, even after he had received a clear revelation at the Jordan River at the time of Jesus' baptism.
John was a well-respected religious figure, while Jesus was seen as only the illegitimate son of a poor carpenter. Without the support of John, it was unlikely the Jewish people would believe in and follow Jesus. Alone, Jesus undertook the difficult path of self-proclamation. John the Baptist was supposed to have helped Jesus reach the religious leadership of Israel. If John had fulfilled his role, then the religion of Judaism in the position of Abel and the nation of Israel in the position of Cain could have united with Jesus. A Dream Unfulfilled This Cain-Abel unity would have laid the foundation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus would have stood as the true father of humanity, and his bride would have stood as the true mother. In less than seven years, his teachings would have expanded rapidly to the world, winning Asia and Rome to his side before he reached the age of 40. Eventually, as true parents, Jesus and his bride would have achieved the individual heavenly kingdom, family heavenly kingdom, clan heavenly kingdom, and national heavenly kingdom. However, this glorious destiny could not be realized. It was the religious people themselves who rejected Jesus' words and called for his crucifixion. Confronted by the disbelief of Israel, Jesus determined to give his life to achieve spiritual salvation for humankind. However, he knew that Christ would have to come again in order to bring physical salvation on earth in addition to spiritual salvation. As a result of Jesus' death on the cross, the conflict between supporters of left-wing and right-wing ideologies appeared, echoing the two thieves who were crucified with him. This is similar to the separation between Cain and Abel that resulted from Adam's fall. Likewise, Islam and Christianity appeared and began struggling. Because such separation was caused by the crucifixion of Jesus, Christ will work for the unity of these divisions at the time of the Second Coming. Why Unity is Inevitable God's preparation for the Second Advent required a world-level foundation of successful Cain-Abel reconciliation. This dispensation was carried out through the events surrounding World War II. The Allied countries of Britain, the United States, and France represented Christianity and were in the position of Abel. The Axis countries of Germany, Japan, and Italy practiced nationalistic materialism and stood in the position of Cain. This war represented the expansion of the conflict between Cain and Abel to the world level. Immediately after the Allied victory, great strides were made toward creating a world of peace guided by Christianity. With Britain in the position of Eve on the world level, and the United States and France representing Cain and Abel respectively, the Allied nations stood united in the position ready to receive the Lord of the Second Advent. Despite this preparation, God's dispensation was not fulfilled at that time. God's representative came to bring God's word, yet he was met with tremendous persecution and almost universal misunderstanding. This parallels Jesus' situation 2,000 years earlier. Just as the people of Israel in Jesus' time were awaiting the coming of Elijah on a chariot in the clouds, Christians awaited the second coming by expecting Jesus himself to come on the clouds. In the book of Revelation, Jesus reveals to John the Divine that he will come with a new name. This foreshadowed that Jesus would come again through another man, just as Elijah returned through the person of John the Baptist. At this crucial time after World War II, God instructed my husband to bring a new message of truth to Christians in Korea. Korean Christian leaders, however, rejected the possibility that he, a humble young man, had been chosen to bring this new message. They could not believe that the Lord at his second coming would be born as a man on earth any more than the people could believe it at the time of Jesus. If the Christian churches had united with my husband, the heavenly kingdom already would have been established on earth as well as in the spiritual realm. During the seven-year period from 1945 to 1952, which marked the end of World War II and of the New Testament age, the entire world could have united in accordance with the providence of God. The Path of Indemnity Instead of uniting with him, however, these religious leaders were jealous as they saw the number of his followers growing. They blindly opposed my husband without hearing him out. They even spread lies about him. 
Rumors of sexual misconduct and greed, the very antithesis of his teachings, were used to assassinate his character. God had expanded Christianity and had lifted up a mighty Christian nation like the United States for the purpose of preparing the way for the second coming. Whether they realized it or not, these ministers in Korea represented all of Christianity. Because these representatives did not unite with my husband after World War II, worldwide Christianity and America began to decline in power and moral authority. After World War II, the nation of the United States and the religion of Christianity stood in a victorious foundation of Cain-Able unity. The time was ripe for the second coming. However, the whole world opposed my husband's work and missed this opportunity. He was expelled into the wilderness. He was forced to the bottom and has been climbing back up ever since. Thus the Cold War began. The world separated again into two worldwide spheres of Cain and Abel, just as it had during World War II. Denying God just as the thief on the left denied Jesus, communism represented the Cain-type world. Christian democracies, which affirmed the existence of God, represented the thief on the right and the Abel-type world. It was God's will that the Messiah of the Second Coming unite these two hostile blocks. That is why we mobilized our church to help settle conflicts between the right wing, represented by the free world, and the left wing, represented by communism. We also have been working in the role of a peacemaker on behalf of Christianity, Judaism, and our Islamic brothers and sisters. During the 40-year Cold War period, my husband fought to break down barriers on the individual, family, clan, national, worldwide, and cosmic levels in order to rebuild the lost 4,000-year foundation to receive the Messiah. Since my husband cannot live 400 or 4,000 years, he knew that he would have to indemnify all of history in just 40 years. During this period of four decades, he restored the 4,000-year history before Jesus and the 6,000-year biblical history since the creation. After this indemnity was paid, unity of the Cain and Abel blocks brought the cold world to an end. The Unification Church accomplished this internally at the 1988 Seoul Olympics, when athletes from 160 nations came to Korea. For decades, my husband has been completely misunderstood. For three years, he was imprisoned in a communist concentration camp. Altogether, he has been wrongfully imprisoned six times for doing God's work. Moreover, the media have mocked him as a monster who brainwashes the young for self-benefit. Can anyone disagree when I say that Reverend Moon is the most persecuted religious leader in the world? My heart is broken when I think of how my husband has suffered. However, he always comforts me, reassuring me that God has deep compassion for those persecuted for doing his work. My husband and I have purposefully walked a path of indemnity, or restitution, in order to restore the failures of the past, including those of the Old and New Testament ages. Korea connects to the Old Testament age, while America, a mostly Christian civilization, connects to the New Testament age. For the first 20 years, my husband walked the road of indemnity for the Old Testament age, focusing on the Korean nation and the Unification Church, representing the positions of the nation of Israel and Judaism respectively. On the foundation of this work, in 1960 we held the holy wedding of true parents on the national level. Then, in 1971, my husband and I came to America. During the next 20 years in the United States, we walked the path of indemnity to fulfill the New Testament age and begin the Completed Testament age. Thus we established the true parents' family, the origin of true love, true life, and true lineage, with God at its center. What the Unification Church Offers The truth that God revealed to my husband is contained in the divine principle. Interpreting the history of humankind and the stories of the Bible from the providential viewpoint, the divine principle unlocks the answers to questions unsolved for thousands of years. Those who have sincerely studied its contents have found it to be a true gift from God, providing the solutions to the problems facing our society today. Even in the former communist Soviet Union, 
Government leaders and thousands of young people have found their lives renewed through their studies of our teaching, known as Godism or headwing thought. Finally free from the oppression of communist ideology, they are seeking spiritual truth to guide their nations. There are countless other testimonies to the power of the divine principle to give hope and new life to young people. Last year in Korea, we held a wedding celebration for 30,000 couples, all dedicating their lives to one another, to God, and to the world. In most families today, parents cannot effectively guide their children, especially in such intimate matters as love and marriage. Yet, my husband and I brought together young people from 131 nations and realized their most cherished dreams of love in a historic way. This was indeed a great miracle of the modern world. In the future, as people come to understand the value and quality of these precious families, millions will seek such marriages. Through them, God can restore the family that Satan destroyed. Such restored, God-centered families are the very building blocks of an ideal nation and world. World-Level Foundation to Receive True Parents My dear friends, when Jesus taught about the coming of the Messiah, he told the parable of the virgins who were awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom. This signifies the restoration of the original positions of man and woman, restored Adam and Eve, to the realm of true equality. When Christianity failed to meet her bridegroom the first time, God's dispensation had to be delayed by 40 years until 1992. At this turning point in the history of restoration, a woman in the position of true mother has to prepare the world to receive the true father. That is why in April 1992, my husband and I founded the Women's Federation for World Peace. Last year, with the heart of a true mother, I visited Korea, Great Britain, the United States, France, Japan, Germany and Italy, as well as Russia, China, and Oceania. I gathered together the women of these nations to form chapters of the Women's Federation for World Peace. With these events, the nations that had been the worldwide Cain and Abel countries since World War II united just after the Cold War to receive the True Mother and prepare again the foundation to meet the True Father. Based on this foundation, my husband and I can now stand on the world level as the first true parents. As true parents, we are ushering in the completed Testament age. At this historic turning point, we have to practice on the world level the principle that an individual's mind and body have to be united, with God in the central position. To facilitate this, we have founded two organizations working for world peace. The Interreligious Federation for World Peace represents the mind on the world level. It carries out the internal mission of uniting all the world's religions on the foundation of God's love. The Federation for World Peace, on the other hand, represents the body on the world level. It pursues the external mission of building ideal societies with leaders in every field of human endeavor, including politics, economics, media, academia, science, and the arts. The First True Family Looking at the vertical perspective of love, Adam and Eve could have related directly with God by developing in themselves the four types of love, children's love, siblings' love, conjugal love, and parental love. Therefore, Adam and Eve originally would have grown through four realms of heart, based on God's true love, achieving the completion of the levels of children, siblings, couple, and parents. In this manner, they would have achieved what we may call the perfected or true family. Adam and Eve were to have become role models for the members of their family. Their children would have looked to their parents as ideal role models. They would have become brothers and sisters who loved each other as their parents loved them. They would have become married couples resembling the husband-wife relationship of their parents. Finally, with the birth of children, they would have established more true families resembling that of their parents. In such a fashion, by establishing ideal, unbreakable families that fulfill the vertical and horizontal unity between parents and children, brothers and sisters, and husbands and wives, we can finally build the eternal basis for God's kingdom on earth as well as in heaven. 
Thus, all families in the world originating from the same God-centered ancestors, Adam and Eve, will have equal divine value. In every true family, grandparents will be in the position of kings and queens representing God and good ancestors. Parents will be in the position of kings and queens representing present-day humanity, and children will be in the position of princes and princesses representing all future generations. When all three generations are united, past, present, and future will live together in harmony. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great privilege to announce to you the establishment of the first perfected true family. My husband and I, together with our thirteen children and twenty grandchildren, are absolutely dedicated to serving God and humanity. With three generations in one family, we have achieved on the family level the central root of grandparents, the central trunk of parents, and the central buds, children of the biblical tree of life. It is our sincere hope that you will symbolically graft into this tree of life by joining us in our efforts to create an ideal nation and world. This marks the beginning of the completed Testament age. The Tribal Messiah Mission Ladies and gentlemen, at the dawn of the completed Testament age, the time has come for each family to take up the messianic mission of completing the work of salvation throughout the world. After restoring your family, the next step is to restore your tribe, nation, and the world. This is the mission of the Tribal Messiah. In the completed Testament age, the mother's role will be crucial. She has to unite her children and her husband and link her family with the true parents. Already we have sent thousands of tribal messiah missionaries around the world. Soon the original ideal of the family will be achieved worldwide. As the world enters the completed testament age, we will live with God again. Realizing this, we have to accomplish the unity of mind and body, husband and wife, and parents and children. We can then establish ideal families based on God's love. With such families, the symptoms of our decaying society will vanish. As confident children of God, we no longer will be enslaved to the temptations of alcohol and drug abuse. Moreover, by understanding the holiness of love between the husband and wife, we will possess the moral strength to stand strong against infidelity and promiscuity. Finally, we will work as a whole to eliminate war, racial and religious prejudice, and world hunger. Based on this foundation, we can realize a world of true happiness, freedom, and peace. In such a world, there will be heartfelt compassion for the needs of others, and the nations of the world naturally will cooperate to preserve peace and justice. A situation such as the tragedy we are witnessing in Bosnia today would evoke a resolute and united determination among the world's nations to provide both effective material relief and a swift, peaceful solution. Therefore, understanding that this is God's vision for humanity, let us join together, all nations as one under God, to bring peace and reconciliation to every corner of the world afflicted with suffering and conflict. Honored guests, ladies and gentlemen, it is my hope that people of all faiths and nationalities gathered here this afternoon will understand this message with a deep heart and an open mind. I sincerely pray that by upholding the will of God, we all can reach the place of God's blessing. May God bless you, your families, and your nations. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Godable. Tune in tomorrow for a reading on Realizing the True Love Movement Through the Power of Women. <laughs>